Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people, for there are about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. Grass withers, the flower fades, word of our God stands forever. Continuing our series through the Gospel of Luke, we find a passage this morning, like I said, that's fairly familiar if you have any... um, peripheral knowledge of Christianity, at some point you've heard a story of Jesus taking basically a Lunchable uh, that you can buy for a buck fifty at Hy-Vee or whatever, and then feeding a multitude of people out of crackers and some fish. He's got bread, two little fishes, and five loaves of bread. And if I don't know if you've spent much time in a Sunday school program or a kids club at all, but uh, most people, if you started singing two little fishes and five loaves of bread, and with this the multitudes were fed, everyone would pretty much be able to sing along with you. So even if you know nothing of the teachings of Christ, you'll see parodies of this on, on, on uh, late night comedy shows. Well, they'll, they'll have an image of Jesus and they know that this is the guy who broke bread and, and multiplied it and fed multitudes of people with basically, yes, a Lunchable. So the question then that we're trying to get to this morning is, So what? Here's this guy, here's this story. This man is walking around claiming to be God. Jesus saying he's claiming to be the Messiah. He's gathering his followers. People are, he's performing miracles. He's calming storms. He has a rule over nature. He has authority over the demonic darkness that's around him. He has authority over disease with the issue of blood. We just covered a few weeks ago. She's healed of her issue with blood. And then uh, Jairus' daughter dies. And what does Jesus do? He raises her up. Jesus has authority over nature, over demons, over disease, over death. And here we come to this miracle today. Jesus takes two little fish, and five loaves of bread. And with this, the multitudes are fed. What does this mean? And you've likely heard a lot of different applications from this story. And one of our habits in uh, cultural Christianity, modern Christianity, is we're always going for what's the moral of the story here? What's the practical application? So how can we take the feeding of the 5,000 and walk out the doors and, and, and it really... Um, it puts feet on the ground for us. What can we, what can we turn this story into a, a, mor- a moths story, a moral of the story sermon? What is, what is the moral of the story? And our impulse is to take every Bible narrative, it seems like, 
and twist it into some sort of moral of the story. But that is not what Scripture is about. That is not what your Bible is about. The Bible is not a collection of moral principles. It's not a collection of here's how you make your life better or here's how to be a good person. Those things are certainly contained within it. But that is not the main idea from Scripture. John, Jesus says in John chapter 5, 39, that Scripture testifies to Him. Talking about the Pharisees saying, you search and search and search, trying to find the way of eternal life, never knowing that all along the Scriptures point to Me. And so this book, the Bible, and what, what Luke's clear emphasis here is, is revealing to us who Jesus is. And that's what we're after this morning. What does this event show us about Jesus? Not about who we are, but who Jesus is. One instance, and I just want to kind of just to prove my point a little bit here. This is um, one, of the, one of the most often used applications from this passage is people will say that the miracle that happened here was that a little boy shared what he had and God multiplied it and, and everybody benefited from it. And the moral of the story is you need to be the little boy that shared his little fish and his five loaves of bread so that God can take your gift, multiply it, and it will go out and be used for many. And so, therefore, we shouldn't look down upon what little we have, but we take what little we have and we give it to God and God uses it to the blessing of many people. But and there's, that's, on one sense, I get the application. I understand it. But if, if we make that the main point, what's our problem here? Look at when I, my text this morning. When we read Luke chapter 9 here. Where did you read the part about the little boy? You didn't. You didn't hear it. He's not in the Gospel of Luke. So if we make the little boy sharing his meal, the main point of the story is that what we all need to do is to take our little to Jesus and then he multiplies it for the benefit of many. Well, then we have, then Luke has included this story for no reason. Because he didn't even include, he didn't include the main point of the story. The little boy isn't in this story. This is one of the rare miracles, the only miracle apart from the resurrection, you could say, that really is in all four Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the first three synoptic Gospels. They're similar. They share the, li- the large portion of their, pa- of their stories are shared in between them. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is like, it's up to 90% of original material. He's, he's um, later and he's filling in all of these gaps. He's got more of a philosophical take on the Gospel. And he's, he's writing to a different audience. And he's got a lot of unique information But this is the one miracle, apart from the resurrection, that all four of them report on. All four of them report on the feeding of the 5,000. This miracle is is in all four. But the boy, he's not in Matthew's account. He's not in the Markan account. Matthew's account is in chapter 14 of Matthew. The Markan account is in Mark chapter 6. And an additional, uh, it's not in the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6. And it's also not in Mark's account in, Luke, in Mark chapter 8 of the feeding of the 4,000. Did you know there's two feedings? Sometimes people don't know that. There's the feeding of the 5,000, and then a little later on, Jesus feeds 4,000. There's two feedings of the multitude that Mark uh, gives to us. It's not in the Lucan account, not here in Luke chapter 9, only in the John account, only in the Johannine account. In John chapter 6 is the, is the point is this, this part of the story that the boy is there. Every other account is basically Jesus asking, what do you have? 
or the disciples going out and finding the food, that's, that's not in there. That's not in, in, in the Lucan account. In the majority of the Gospels, that part's not in there. So if the main point of the story is that we would bring our gifts to Jesus so that he can use them, wouldn't that important part of the miracle be included every time? And it, it isn't. It isn't included. Why? This is not primarily a story about what you bring to God for him to use. The focus of this whole book, and especially these chapters here with these miracles of Jesus, are showing us the reality of who Jesus is. It's what I feel like I'm just, I know I'm hitting the same drum over and over again. See Jesus for who he is. See Jesus for who he is. And when when you get to the point where you're hitting a drum so many times, some people say, boy, I am sick of that drumbeat, the same note over and over again. You have that crowd, or else you have the crowd that's like, I kind of like the rhythm of that beat. I, th- I, I, can, I can live with that beat. This is who Jesus is. This is, and what I'm trying to get out of all of us is that we can, when we hear the drumbeat, the reality of who Jesus is, what he has done for us, what that means for us, that it wouldn't become a clanging, a resounding gong but that it would build in us a rhythm of reality for us to rejoice in. So, who is Christ? And we know we're right on track with the Holy Spirit because of what Luke has bookended this passage with. If you've still got your Bible out there, Luke chapter 9, just before this feeding of the 5,000, Herod is asking about Jesus. And what's his question? Who then is this? Verse 9 of chapter 9, Luke 9, Herod said, John I beheaded. But who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. And then later down, we get to the answer next week. Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ. Jesus begins to ask him this question in verse 18. Who do the crowds say that I am? And they tell him John the Baptist, Elijah. And then he asks them specifically in verse 20. Who do you say that I am? Luke is giving us hints all around here. Who is Jesus? Who is this Christ? So up front, I want to press the importance of seeing Christ for who he is revealed to us in this event. Don't become lulled to sleep with either my carrying on or the familiarity with this story. Don't let it lull you to sleep. I know you've heard it. If you've gone to Sunday school, you've heard the story of the feeding of the 5,000, but don't let that lull you to sleep or be dismissive because it's such an incredible event. Like sometimes it's overkill. It's like this is such a huge event that I'm just going to kind of, if I just look past it, I want to face the implications of what it means of what Jesus does through this event. So don't miss the heartbeat of Scripture, which is seeing Jesus for who he is. So three things really that I want us to see. The first thing that, we, that I want us to see from this passage is that Jesus is showing his divine power and his authority. Think about how incredible this is. Try to do the math. 5,000 people. Ringgold County, not Mount Air. I mean, Mount Air's got 1,600, 1,600 people in it. So it's way more than all of our town population. Ringgold County, I think, has got 6,000 people in it, is, I think, my last check. 6,000 people in the entire county. Jesus feeds 5,000 men. And so there's lots of conservative estimates. They're only counting the men there. There's likely women and children. We're talking conservatively eight to 10,000 people. So over the population of our county is the size of this group. 
Jesus takes two fish, and so sometimes they argue, well, it's just a little sardine fish. And I think, why do you got to, I mean, I don't care if it's a, a grass carp. I don't care how big, which is, the, I'm not saying you should eat that, but I don't care how big the thing is. If you only got two of them, how are you going to feed that many people and five loaves of bread? I don't care if it's an oyster cracker or if it's, I don't even know, the biggest cracker you can find. The numbers, the math, you're never going to get it to add up. 5,000 is an unimaginable number. And so great is this number that the disciples say in other gospel accounts that if they were to go buy enough food, it would take eight months' wages just to buy enough food to feed all of these people. We read, though, the size of this crowd. I mean, I couldn't take a Lunchable and feed us here this morning. We ain't no 6,000, 8,000, 10,000 of us here. But it could, I couldn't, you can't do that. That's a little tiny piece. And these people are eating to be satisfied. Jesus takes two fish, five loaves of bread. And you can imagine them to whatever size you want. It doesn't matter. It's two and five. He lifts it up. He blesses it. And he begins to divide it out. And he just keeps dividing it out. They gather in groups of 50. And he just keeps giving, giving, giving. Where is this all coming from? They feed to 5,000 men plus whoever else is there with them. And then they gather up 12 baskets full afterwards. Jesus lifts it up, blesses it. It multiplies somewhere in this event. Something is happening that it multiplies and is given out so that everyone eats to the full, is satisfied, and there is more left over. Jesus provides almost from nothing. I mean, you could say that, couldn't you? I mean, it's not from nothing because he has the two fish and the five loaves of bread. But I mean, really, when you're talking about feeding 5,000 plus, 8,000, 10,000 from this small amount, you can pretty much say, I don't think it's hyperbole to say he feeds them from nothing. Part of me, I wonder that Jesus takes the two fish and the five loaves because he kind of needed to have it appear like it's something to eat. Because how, I mean, how many times somebody come up to you and say, hey, I just... Pull this out of my pocket. You want to eat it? You're like, ah, no thanks. Jesus isn't going to just kind of, you know, I don't know. Here's a bunch of stuff. And then, I don't know if I want to eat whatever you're... But he takes these two fish, these five loaves of bread, and he multiplies it. And if you think about the science of it, I mean, I'm not... You just try to calculate. He's... This is matter. This is mass being created. We don't create matter. We don't create mass. We can multiply it. Our, our bodies, which are the most amazing creation that there is doesn't create we don't create matter we we divide our cells divide and they grab elements from eating and whatever else our cells uh, bruce don't check me out on the science of this but anyway it's something along those lines that we are using the air that we breathe has been here forever i mean this has been breathed and out and who knows abraham himself possibly is breathing the oxygen that you're breathing right now we don't create new matter But here Jesus is creating new caloric matter. Two fish, five loaves of bread, and people are eating. And we know it's real matter because they eat and they're satisfied. It blows blows my mind. 
that, that this man, it's not ex nihilo creation, which is what we say is the kind of fancy Latin word that we like to use about God creating out of nothing. Hebrews 11 says it this way, that by faith we know that God created everything, what is seen out of that which is not seen. Um, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Revelation chapter 4, 11 says, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This level of creation, two fish, five loaves of bread, 8,000, 10,000 people are fed, this level of creation could only be possible if the one doing the multiplying, doing the creating, is, well, the creator. That's, I mean, how else do you get there? How does this person take these things and then multiply matter itself if less he is the creator? It reminds us of Paul's statement from Colossians 1.16 where he's speaking of Jesus and he says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus in this miracle is putting his divinity on display. Who can create matter except the creator? No one. Jesus did. Get the implication? Jesus is the creator. Jesus is God. Not only, that's the first point. Jesus is putting his divine ability on display. But not only do we see, secondly, that Jesus is God. Not only do we see Jesus as God, but we see a Savior who is unwilling to see those stuck in desperate conditions and not have compassion on them. You've got this giant, mighty God who's created everything and then in this event is creating matter. This transcendent, amazing, unimaginable God. And what does this transcendent, amazing, unimaginable, inconceivable almost God do? He has compassion. He cares. He has compassion. He welcomes the crowd to himself. They have the disciples who just finished this missionary journey, they've been out and, and testifying, performing miracles, casting out demons, preaching the good news of the gospel. They come back, we learn from the other gospels, they've all just learned of John the Baptist's death, and they go to sneak away. They, they're on vacation. That's why they leave. They withdraw to Bethsaida to go on vacation. And so they sneak away, and what does Jesus do? They go away, took them, and withdrew apart, verse the 10, to a town called Bethsaida, and when the crowds learned it, they followed him. What does Jesus do? What would you do? I mean, honestly. I know that we're all pretending like we're, you know, but honestly, you get done with a day's work, you've just exhausted yourself with manual labor, you have uh, poured yourself into a day's work, the demands that are placed upon you, you receive emotionally upsetting news, this, this cousin that you love, that's a minister of the good news with you, has just died, you're, you're emotionally exhausted, it's spent, and then 5,000 people show up at your front door and want you to minister to them. What do you say at that point? You know what? Uh, my door's locked. I've kind of had a day of it. You know, I don't, I don't really want any more right now. What is Jesus? What is the creator? What does God do? He welcomes them. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. We would maybe use creative, we would use our miracle powers to maybe teleport us to somewhere else. We would find some way to get out of this. We would disappear through the crowd, not Jesus, not our God. He welcomes other gospel accounts, say he had compassion on them. And I want you to think about who does this God welcome? 
Who does he welcome? This crowd. Why is this crowd here? Why do they not bring any food? Who walks into a desert and doesn't think, maybe I should pack a lunch? Who does? I mean, honestly, what, why is this crowd here? They are here of their own fault, really. He has compassion upon those who are really the victims of their own bad choices. They are here. They, he, they show up. They, have, they are here of their own. They have willfully put themselves in a bad position, and yet Jesus has compassion on them. He welcomes them in and ministers to them. He doesn't give them some lecture about, well, you've got to sleep in the bed you made. I mean, you know, you did this, so this is a learning lesson for you. Don't wander into the desert without food to eat. He doesn't do that. He, does, he has compassion on them. He doesn't get on the soapbox and say, you know, God helps those who help themselves. So why don't you get to work helping yourself and then maybe I'll come along and I'll assist you. He has compassion on them. He, Jesus who is God, has compassion on those who are stuck in desperate conditions, even desperate conditions of their own making. I bring that point up because this is really good news for us. This is really good news for us because every one of us, every one of us are stuck in desperate conditions of our own making. Everyone, Isaiah 53, the memory verse for this, the chapter we talked about just at, at our fighter verses. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. This is the reality of our humanity and sinful rebellion against God. We have all by nature and by choice turned from God. We have all by nature and by choice turned from God. We have chosen to run from God and to run our own way. Now, we put fancy phrases on it today. We cover it up with catchphrases to make it sound cute. We've called it self-discovery, where I'm out learning, I'm out discovering myself. We put all kinds of false names on it to cover up the reality of what it is. It is turning away from God and running our own way. And we have in thousands of different ways attempted to take God off the throne. You don't rule anything, God. Not with me. I'm the ruler. We do that over and over and over again, whether you want to confess it or not. God, you're not in charge. I am. We have willfully marched ourselves out into a desert with nothing to provide ourselves with. And Jesus looks. God looked from eternity and He saw a people marching off to their own demise, to their own uh, destruction, And what does he do? He has compassion. He has mercy. He welcomes them. He is a God who has compassion on those who are stuck in desperate condition. Thank God that when he looks on crowds in desperate conditions, he welcomes them and has compassion on them. So firstly, we see his divine display. Secondly, we see that in his divinity, he has compassion and welcomes those in desperate situations, even those of their own making. And thirdly, we see that when he has compassion on them and when he welcomes them, he actually does something for them. It's like, you know, having mercy and compassion on someone is not that, I mean, impressive. You feel sorry for people, but you can't really, I mean, all the time you look around and you think, well, I feel bad, but I, I really can't do anything about it. Well, thankfully, this God who has compassion and has mercy and welcomes the desperate can actually do something about it, and he does. 
He can actually do something about it, and he does. He does something for them. And there's incredible foreshadowing. This story of the feeding of the 5,000, there's some great foreshadowing go on here. And it might be why it's in all four Gospels. But just as Jesus takes this meal, lifts it up, blesses it, and breaks it for the benefit of the multitudes and for the fulfillment of many, it's a foreshadowing of this Savior who, in his, as his life events play out, he provides for the multitudes. He provides for his people by the giving of himself to be lifted up and broken for the satisfaction of many. Just as he lifts this bread up and it breaks and, he, and the multitudes are fed and satisfied, it's a foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to be lifted up. He's going to be broken and poured out for the benefit of Many for the benefit of his, for the satisfaction and the fulfilling of his people. If you continue there in Isaiah 53, where it says that all we like sheep have gone astray, each one has turned to his own way. It says this, continuing on, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity, transgression, the iniquity, the sinfulness of us all. Jesus shoulders the desperate condition of this crowd, hungry. He shoulders it. And he takes their, this desperate condition and he shoulders it and then he, and he provides for them. And just like in a few months, Jesus will shoulder their iniquity, their sinfulness upon himself, go to the cross and provide their ultimate satisfaction by bringing forgiveness of their sins and their iniquities. The feeding of the 5,000, which is a real supernatural event. This is a real event recorded to us by Luke. is also a picture to us of the meal Jesus will provide for us and for our fulfillment when we are in the midst of our desperate conditions. He gives his life for the multitudes. We get this clear teaching on this aspect of the feeding of the 5,000 from the Gospel of John. Read the whole sixth chapter. Sixth chapter of John starts out with the feeding of the 5,000 and then John records for us an entire discourse of Jesus about what this all means. And he says it like this, there, there in talking about himself, Jesus describes himself as the bread of life which has come down from heaven. And he uses language like this, whoever believes in, whoever comes to, whoever is looking on, whoever eats, whoever drinks, whoever feeds on him will live. And he wraps it all up by saying that those who do all of those things, they're all synonymous with one another. Don't get don't get into the Catholic ditch of the eating and drinking something different from the rest of them. They're all the same. Co- believes in, comes to, looks on, eats, drinks, feeds. Whoever does these things and looks upon Christ, that one will have eternal life. What does Jesus do? He provides and his people are satisfied. Jesus is the meal that when you, sitting here this morning, when you realizing your desperate condition, confessing, repenting, I'm a sinner under the just wrath of God, realizing your desperate condition and looking to Him, trusting in Him, believing in Him, consuming Him, knowing that He carries away all your sin on the cross and knowing that your sins are now forgiven, you can rest in knowing that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, as Romans 8 one tells us. You can know that no matter what temporal circumstances life throws at you, you are no longer in any desperate situation, but you are secure. You're no longer desperate, but you are secure. 
you are secure in the hands of your loving Father who has nothing but love for you. You can look all around and give thanks, not in stuff, not in fading treasures. You can look around and give thanks, knowing that no matter what happens in this life, in having Christ, you have all that truly matters and are satisfied in the only way that truly matters. Satisfied for all of eternity with the meal that is Christ who has been lifted up and broken for the benefit, the saving, the satisfaction of the multitudes. And yes, if you're here this morning, for your own satisfaction. Christ has been lifted up, broken, His blood poured out on the cross so that sinners like you, like me, repenting of their sin, looking to Christ and His righteousness can be forgiven and given eternal life. This is what we remember when we celebrate communion. This is what we remember here at the communion table. We eat, we drink, we believe, we come to, we look to Christ. We confess our desperate need and run to the one who has compassion, who welcomes desperate sinners, and who satisfies them with himself forever. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see you clearly in this place this morning, that our joy would be full in the meal that your Son, Christ Jesus, is for us. The one who was lifted up and broken, that the multitudes of desperate sinners could be satisfied, forgiven of their sins, reconciled to you forever. God, give us eyes to see it. Give us hearts to rejoice in it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.